Guys, it's so good to be here. Uh, uh, my name's Tom. Uh, I have the real privilege of being one of the pastors at uh, the City Church, just down the road in Canterbury. And, um, and uh, myself and John and David get together at least once a month on Thursdays. Uh, and we often talk about you guys. We often talk about the churches that we had the privilege of shepherding. And it's, it's just brilliant to be here. I was actually here, I think, probably six, seven years ago, something like that. Uh, I spoke many years ago when I was still single. I didn't have the beautiful wife I have now, and the beautiful, I know, so I'm very proud to come with Josie, and to prove that God does exist. If I have a wife like that, then, you know, there must be a God, that's all I'm saying. Um, so it's, it's a real joy to be here, and um, can we just thank the band? I just think they just served us amazingly. I mean, um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, they obviously, I'm sure they work their socks off. That doesn't just happen, does it? And it's just, it's not just music, but it's the presence of God. And um, I, I, was, uh, I was thinking uh, earlier, uh, earlier on, a couple of weeks ago, about what, um, what God would want to bring today. And to be honest with you, there's a temptation when you preach a lot just to kind of go, well, let's choose uh, this one. Yeah, that went down well when I preached that. That'll definitely, that'll definitely be hopefully something that will serve. But I did feel God actually say, no, no, Tom, I, I have a specific, fresh word for you guys. And, um, and it's actually at one level very simple, but I, I trust will serve you. Um, and it's just this, really, is that when you look in, in, in the Bible about the different picture languages, the different metaphors that the Bible used to describe the church, not the building, the people, there's loads of different pictured languages that the Bible uses. So, in fact, let's have a, have a, just a bit of interaction. Come on, guys, shout out some of the, the pictures that the Bible gives us to describe what the people of God are. Family. Start again. Body, very good. Julian? Family, Family. very good. Gold stuff, you said? Bride. Uh, his prize? Bride. Bride, oh, of course, yeah. But I haven't bought most of these, yeah. Bride, absolutely. I knew that one, yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, number four. Yeah, any others? This side of the room. Building stones. Building stones, like it. Yeah, at the back, lady. Followers. Followers, excellent. Some of the ones that came into my brain were city. Talks about the city. Talks about a nation. Hello, my love. And uh, <laughs> it talks about uh, it talks about the temple as well, doesn't it? it? Talks about temple. And all those are really valid. They're brilliant. They're the ways that God helps us to understand something of the amazingness of what is happening right now. But there's one, actually, that I believe God really wants to just underline, get his un- highlighter out today, underline for you, and also, I felt, not just for you, but for us as a church in Canterbury. And it's the one of family. Extra mark for Julian, who got that right. No, seriously, though, that, that, that God today, very simply, wants to say, all those other picture languages are valid, and they, they convey something of what it is, to be God's church. But today he wants to say, and he wants to convey to us something of his immense, just say immense. 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 Let's try it again. Immense. immense. Thank you. I'm quite Pentecostal, just to warn you. I do keep you away. It's immense passion for family. He really is very passionate. I could, I could give a lots of different reasons biblically why I believe perhaps this is the major metaphor in the Bible. Maybe, maybe, you know, that's a big theological question. Certainly one of the biggest ones. You know, for example, you know, when God starts everything and he sees Adam on his own, he goes, hmm, not good. He needs to have a 
family, yeah. He doesn't just say he needs to have a club. He doesn't say he needs to have an army. He knows he needs to have a family, yeah? And then it all goes wrong. Boo, we know, Genesis 3. But then God, Genesis 12, amazingly, rather than giving up on planet Earth, he goes, no, I'm going to launch a rescue plan through a man named Abraham and his family. And if you know the story of Abraham and his family, and we're studying Jacob at the moment, and I've just seen afresh how completely simple, to be honest with you, and, and weak Jacob and all of them are because they're just humans. And because the Bible ultimately only has one hero whose name is? Yes. yes. Amen. So, but it's about a family, isn't it? It's through Abraham and his family that God says, I'm going to launch a rescue plan. When you come to the New Testament, it's no different. You know, when you look at the qualifications for what men should be like who lead a church, right at the heart of them, it doesn't say he should be really, really cool and, you know, be really fashionable. It says, how does he lead his family? I love that. It's so different to the world. You know, we think Barack Obama, you know, he can, con- you know, he can command his... Pre- What's he, how does he lead his family? That's what actually you see at the heart. Of, of the biblical picture of what the church is. How, the men, they, they can't lead their little family, then they've got no business trying to lead his big family. And then you see, for example, in the language about how uh, we're to treat ladies who are older than us, uh, older than us we're to treat them as mothers and as old, fathers and, and sisters and brothers. It's, it's, it's all family language. You, you could say, I think, in many ways, what is the key thing an apostle should be like? Well, he should be like a father. He should be one who fathers churches into existence. You see again and again this language of of family. And and obviously the ultimate example is this, is God himself. The son and the father. He is a family. And so you think, well, that's pretty obvious stuff, Tom. But it may be obvious, but believe me, it is profound. And what I want you, in a few minutes when you walk out of those see-through doors, in a few moments, I want you to have... All of you, if you know Jesus and you're part of this church, I want you to have a fresh confidence in who you are in God. And I'll tell you why this, and I really mean this. When I look at this nation and I see it falling apart, and I believe personally the one key, th- well, one of the key things, if not the key, is the breakdown of family. When I see it, and I see men who are happy to sleep with women and then get them pregnant, and then leave and abdicate. I mean, my wife worked for many years in a, in a, in a refuge for women uh, who had very difficult situations, and it was just like an epidemic all across this nation, isn't it? It's true. It's, just, it's, not, it's not stern fathers, which it was like 100 years ago. That was often a key issue. It's now absent fathers. Families falling apart. And so teenagers growing up either becoming driven to try and earn something that they never got, or just becoming despairing and going completely off the rails. Either way, producing a society that is going nowhere and is very broken. And for me, therefore, when I think about, therefore, this, this portrayal of what God's people are to be, it isn't just a nice little cosy thing. Well, family, isn't that nice? It is profound. It is profound in the darkness that is out there in this city, in this town, in this place, is, is, is the need for family. But every family has a flavour. Amen? It has its own feel. Well, we'll begin with F. That every family is different. Let's put it that way. When I got married five years ago, I got introduced to Josie's family. I won't say anything about that. And then when I got introduced to 
I introduced her to my perfect family, or so I thought. And over the last few years, I've come to realise both our families are quite unusual. And every family is unusual. And they emphasise this, but my parents emphasise this. And every family has got strengths and weaknesses. They have a flavour. And so I just want to, in the next few moments, just look at five flavours, five flavours that I believe are here, but should be ever-increasing. In the family of God, whether it's the Herne Bay one here, whether it's in Canterbury, whether it's in Brazil, whatever it is, these are, there's at least five, there's tons. And with all of them, is us to remember that these are so important because actually we have a few moments this side of glory, don't we? We have no idea how long it's going to give us. Some of you, this might be your last day before you meet him. That might be. It might be mine. We don't know. So we want to live every day not seeing ourselves as we see each other. Because if we do that, we're doomed, right? We'll see all of our own weaknesses and failings and, and others, to be honest with you. But if we see ourselves as God sees us, which is so different, then we can live every day confident, not in ourselves, but in who he says we are together. So the first flavour that comes booming out of the Bible is this, is that God's family is flavoured with Joy. Say joy. joy. Give me joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Thank you. Now, we know the songs. Josie's very embarrassed right now um, by my singing. But the reality is, when you look at some of the other pictures, uh, the metaphors in the Bible, like the army, not particularly mainly about joy. I mean, yeah, maybe a bit of a joy thing in there. You think about the world's kind of pictures, which often uh, affect churches. So many churches nowadays are trying to be influenced by the business world, for example, which I think can help a bit in some ways, but it can be very dangerous, I personally believe as well, because businesses and families are really different. And so when you look at business, when you look at armies, when you look at these types of things, they're not particularly synonymous with joy. But I would want to say God's family should be the most joyful place in the world. Now, I'm not talking about being fake, because some of you come here with real difficult things in your life. And you're like, oh, great, Tom, you're a young man. You wait till you're my age. Then you'll know, you know all about being happy. I'm not talking about being happy. And I'm not even saying it's you personally need to be joyful all the time. You know, interestingly, often in the New Testament, when it says about us being joyful, it isn't talking about it in the singular. It isn't always saying, you, you have to be joyful every day. No, no, it's saying, oh church, yeah? You have a corporate expectation of being joyful together. Some of you will be going through tough times, some through easy times, but all the time over it, there's a banner of joy. Yeah, when, when your friend is struggling, you're with him. You're not saying, hey, come on, be joyful, Tom said. No, no, you're actually... You are someone who, if you're in a place of knowing God's blessing, you're carrying them through that. So it's sensitive, but it is, at its foundation, a place of joy. And I have to say, in my family, uh, you know, we've got two girls, Daisy and Lily. I, I, was, I wasn't expecting the level of hilarity that would come from being their dad. I mean, you know, I was getting ready for vomit on my, on my shirt. I was getting ready for, you know, sleepless nights. I was getting ready for uh, tiredness. I was, not, I was not prepared for the level of joy. And they are hilarious. No one told Kids are just hilarious. And just when I'm in the danger of taking myself a bit too seriously, going off to a prayer meeting to be the holy man, just as I walk out the door, what do I see but a big splodge of snot or something else from one of the girls, you know. And it's God's way of saying, there you go, just keep your, keep your human. <laughs> Families are meant to be full of joy. Amen? Amen. 
And if you think that, you know, families in the natural realm are meant to be a place where there's laughter and there's the joy of just being together, how much more is God's family? Where, yes, we're together, but our Father is the Father of fathers, the one who, has, as Matt prayed earlier, doesn't treat us according to performance, and I'll come on to that in a moment, but treats us with an outrageous, steadfast love. So to be marked by joy, let's just open our Bibles for a moment. Acts chapter 8. There's so much, so many different places we could go today with the Bible. Acts chapter 8, I love this. Philip going up to Samaria, the crowds, verse 6, Acts 8, verse 6, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. Unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. That's a pretty good reason to get excited. And the next verse. So there was much joy in that city. That is God's heart. That was God's heart for Samaria 2,000 years ago. It's actually his heart for Herne Bay. Isn't that amazing? Is that when God's community came into existence, it has an effect on those around now, it may not be at the moment quite as dramatic and tangible as you see in Samaria, and we long for more of that, but you are having an effect, whether you know it or not. You see, in Genesis 12, when God spoke to, 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 to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing, something was launched then that now as Christians we inherit. That means as we are blessed by God, we bless others. So God's heart is that you will be filled with joy. That there would be a joy that marks you out. In Acts chapter 15, it says Paul and Barnabas uh, were on their way down from Antioch to Jerusalem. And they were telling people on the way down about all that God was doing with the Gentiles. And it says he brought great joy to them. In 1 Thessalonians, when Paul writes to them, he just says, You are my glory and my joy. I mean, it's just endless throughout the New Testament. Joy, 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 joy. Paul was someone who, if he were here today, would say, do you know, this family is to be flavoured with joy. Not because you have to work it up. Not because, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm an extrovert and he's an introvert, so, you know, he's always happy. And No, 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 nothing to do with that at all. But to do with the, the fact that God's gift is joy to his family. And when you think about the stats, not to depress us, but just to be real, when you look at this nation, you know that suicide in the last 50 years has doubled. Suicide is the biggest, sorry, is the tenth biggest killer in the world, and a million people commit suicide every year. That's the world we live in. And in contrast to that, you see this extraordinary family that is flavoured with joy. And I want to say this this is really significant because in our desire to be churches that actually connect with the world and see mission success and all the stuff that we want. We can often get our knickers in a twist about getting the right strategy and making sure we're doing exactly the right things. But when you catch a revelation that simply being the family of God, just in yourself, just being here and all the different settings that you exist, and that there is a joy that you get to enjoy, that in and of itself is so powerful to the world out there. When you realise that, it frees you from getting uptight and getting potentially, uh, I don't know, yeah, just uptight about having to do everything in the exact right way. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, 
as a church, we tried an event. We'd never done it before. Wine and Wisdom Night. Had 150 people, half of whom were non-Christians, half of whom were for the church. And it was just a quiz night, basically, with a posh title and wine and cheese. But I tell you what, I was watching the non-Christians on my table. Watching the community. Watching me embracing men twice my age. Watching me high-fiving with the youngsters. Connecting with everyone. Everyone just weren't doing it, we're just being together. But even in those non-religious settings, God's there. His people are together. And he loves that. It says he just loves it. Father delights when his family are together. And if you're you're non-Christian, you can just pick it up. You can pick it up. There is something in the unseen realm that you pick up. It's subtle often, but it's powerful. And I was watching my non-Christian friends, and yeah, okay, it was done quite well, and the questions were pretty good, and all that stuff. That's not important, though. The key thing was, it was joy, don't miss this, joy on display. Joy on display. When I, 12 years ago, I had dreadlocks, I had a nose ring, I was a hippie. I came into City Church Canterbury as an atheist, all right? I was a little, I looked a little bit different to everyone else, just say that. Walked in, okay? It was like walking onto, you know, Mars or something. I was like, this is so bizarre. They're singing these songs, they're getting all excited, and they're all different to me. But you know what? There was a joy. There was a warmth. There was something going on Although I had all these head questions, my heart was just interested. And have you heard of Chris Moyles? He's a very famous BBC One radio disc jockey. And a few months ago, he saw a programme on telly of a big church uh, up in Peterborough. Very like this, but just a little bit bigger. But hey, same songs, going for it. And you know what? He went on for eight and a half minutes on primetime radio waves. And he was just going, they were just going for it. I've never seen anything like it. They were all smiley. And they were singing, go happy day, you know, all that. And he was just like, I couldn't believe it. This is Chris Moyles, one of the most kind of, to be honest with you, worldly, uh, famous people of a generation going on and on and on. And it was the joy. It was the joy. It was, the, it was just the atmosphere that caught me. It wasn't a brilliant sermon. It wasn't strategic things. It was just the joy. So I could go on, but the flavour of God's people is joy. It's joy. It's so powerful. But secondly, I must increase speed-wise. We'll be here all day otherwise. Uh, is that God's family is free and not earned. Say free. free. And not earned. What do I mean by that? We live in a world where everything has to be earned. Everything. Everything is about performance. You know, the business model, even getting into the army or whatever, it's all about performance, you know, be the best. It's all about this. You know, I just think even with Daisy and Lily, who are like three and two, even at that age, <clears throat> you can just pick up with parents. It's no longer they're just going to go swimming. It's they need to have lessons. You know, it's no longer just going for a dance. It's like dancing lessons. She's got to be the best. You know, everything has just got this sort of flavour now of performance. You know, got to get my schools at my, my kids into the best school, so we're going to move. Everything is geared around. You know, I'm going to live my performance need through my kids. It's everywhere. You don't get anything for free. You know, that's the atmosphere of the world that we live in. You know, if you do something wrong, you get fired. You mean, my goodness, you only had to watch Gordon Brown, bless him, this week. You know, we all know, yeah, what he said. But then the interviews in the pubs, I couldn't believe it. You know, <laughs> would you forgive Gordon Brown if he said sorry? No, no way. No. He's done it, hasn't he? He said it. I would never do that. You know, and it's just this kind of performance, 
ruthless thing that this atmosphere this world lives in. And in contrast to that, the family of God is a free thing you get born into. It's amazing. You know you get born once, humanly, physically, and then the Bible tells us we get born again. It's an amazing phrase. But we don't just get born again, we get born again into a family. Ultimately a worldwide family, but into local expression of it. I got born again 12 years ago, and I was born again, yes, into the worldwide church, but the, meaningfully that meant into, Canter- into the city church Canterbury. And it was a free gift. And I think about my, my earthly family, and actually, although I said a minute ago they're a bit weird, actually they're amazing. I love them to bits. And I look back, and loads of my friends had odd families. They had families that actually were just really, really difficult places to grow up. And I looked at my mum and dad, who were the most encouraging people in the world, almost too encouraging. You know, I came out believing that I could you know, do anything. They were just extraordinarily encouraging. And you know, the values that they put uh, into our family. And if I then interacted, I remember one of my dearest friends who came from a very broken family. I mean, you couldn't get more opposite in terms of lack of love, lack of warmth, lack of security. Now, my emotion when I was with him, was I, was I was kind of humbled when I thought about my family. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it any more than he. I just was born into my family. Ephesians 2 says, By grace we have been saved. And even the faith itself is a gift. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because, you see, God's family is not just flavoured with joy, it's also flavoured with profound humility and gratitude. When we realise that we have been born into a family that we didn't earn and that you are part of this church by grace in contrast with a world out there that is striving, 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 striving just to keep its head above water. The atmosphere, the flavour of God's family is just so powerful. Unconditional acceptance. We love you even if you are so different to me. In fact, we love you all the more. Diversity. God's family is earned. Sorry, it is free. It is not earned. <laughs> it's a powerful thing. It's very powerful. I, I remember, again, in, in, the human, in the human realm, my mum and dad, they didn't have a lot of money, but they valued books. That was what they were into. So it meant that we never really, we hardly ever went on holiday, certainly not abroad. We always had old bangers for cars. We had a small house, and the house was, was lived in, let's just put it that way. It was very relaxed. I remember once, for example, some neighbours were, were getting rid of their sofas. And they were like, they're 10 years old, you know, time to get them out. And my mum and dad were like, oh, don't do that, we'll have them. So they, you know, traipsed over these very interesting looking 10-year-old sofas, sort of shoehorned them into the house, and they're like, wow, good as new, I feel like a king. You know, and I remember coming home, we're like, oh my goodness, those are the strangest looking sofas in the world. And these guys smoked like chimneys, so for about six months, they you know, were fumigating them out. And... But this is the thing. So what I'm trying to say is my house, the values of it, it was just relaxed. And a lot of my mates, I went, to a, I, I, got, I went to a school with lots of very wealthy people. And I used to go into their houses. There's one guy whose dad had designed the Dr. Martin boots and was worth 20 million. He went around to his house. It was like a castle. And all my mates were just loaded. But to be honest with you, most of their houses were just like, take your shoes off! You know, don't touch that, don't do that. Where's your mum and dad? Oh, they're gone, they're off working. And there was this, at one level it was impressive, but it was kind of soulless. Now when my mates came round to my house, 
they were so relaxed because we weren't trying to pretend to be anything. We were just, this is who we are. There you go, just relax. Actually, so many of them said, you know what? I actually love being at your place. I love it. I feel relaxed. I feel at home. Because we weren't trying to do anything. There was no stressing. There was no striving. And God's family, when you realize that it's a free gift, that we're born into his family by grace, it frees us from ever trying to be anything. It means that we do things, yes, well, but ultimately that we're different to the world. We're not about performance. Amen? That's not what we're about. We're about something different. We're about the king, about him, about Jesus. So, flavoured with, with joy, God's family is free. It's not earned. Thirdly, God's family enjoys the journey, not just the destination. Enjoys the journey, not just the destination. You see, when you look in the Bible and we look at where everything's heading, it says that God's going to create a new heavens and a new earth under Jesus. He's going to make everything new. And the church is this kind of outpost of it. It's this foreshadowing of this great new creation that God's about. And you look at some of the stories of the, new, of the church in the, in the New Testament, and it's just mind-blowing. Massive, changing cities, powerful. And it makes us think, oh, Lord, do it in my day. Do it here in Herne Bay. Do it, Lord. And that's a good desire. But at the same time, a family is something that enjoys the journey. Because ultimately, every church is a mix of some great stuff and actually some not-so-great stuff. Every church family is a combination. And it's so important as we go for gold, as it were, as we go for seeing God's, God's blueprints downloaded here and this church in the coming 10, 20, 30 years becoming all that God wants, as well as going for that future thing, is that we're able to enjoy every single day. Families do that. Businesses don't do that. They're about goals and targets. And until we get there, we will not, we will not enjoy life, basically. You know, armies tend to be about the mission, and we're very serious, and we're getting there. Families know that, yes, we're going for that, but we enjoy the journey. Amen? We enjoy the journey. We enjoy everything. We celebrate. It's an atmosphere of celebration. And we learn to, to tunnel down into the moment. Despite all the things we wish we weren't like this, no, we enjoy the moment. It's a profound thing. It enjoys the moment, as well as the destination. Just on holiday a few weeks ago, me and Josie and the girls were in Suffolk, and we thought, let's go swimming. I know, I bet Southwold will have a swimming pool. So off we drove 10 miles down to Southwold, asked a few people, nope, the nearest swimming pool is in Lower Stoft. That's quite a long way away. That's like another 15 miles through these tiny little B roads. So off we go, and I find myself, getting, to be honest, a bit cheesed off. I'm driving, you know, flipping heck. Lower Stoft, miles away. Getting all, you know, where are we going? The sat now, you know, on the car's rubbish and... And then suddenly I felt God just say to me, Tom, chill out. You know, yes, that's where you're going. But look, the girls are singing away to wheels on the bus in the back of the car. Josie's looking out at the lovely field. The sun's shining. Enjoy the moment. It's, yes, it, when you get to the pool, it will just be probably a slightly overpriced cold pool anyway. Enjoy the moment. And I thought, I know it sounds silly, but I thought, actually, churches are meant to be like that. We are going somewhere. But churches that enjoy the moment are flavoured more by stories than stats. Yeah? Stats are good. They're not bad. You know, how many are coming on a Sunday? What's our budget laid? What are we projecting? Those things are not bad. But I would humbly suggest that God's family is marked more by stories, what he's doing, the faithfulness of God, than stats. 
It's very, very important that we enjoy the journey. Luke 10, Jesus, it says, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Jesus was and is God. He's created the world. He created it before Adam and Eve sinned to be perfect. He now visits earth sometime later. Just think about this. If ever there was a man who was going to look at the world around him and go, this is not quite how I want it to be, it was this man, Jesus. He was the creator. He was now on planet Earth, looking all around. You know, when we look at things, we can go, oh, I wish our church was more like that and like this. And And Jesus was looking at the whole world that was broken, full of sin, full of sickness, full of sadness. He could have been very much not one to enter into enjoying the moment. But what does it it say he did? It says he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced amidst all the things he wanted to see happen right now, right here. He was able to go, yes, but think about X, Y, and Z. Ultimately, think about the person of the Holy Spirit who is here. He is always the ultimate source of all joy. I love it. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. You know, these are mighty men of God. They must have been thinking, this is a waste of time. We should be out building our mega churches and seeing cities change. They're in jail, for goodness sake. They're banged up. What do they do? Singing at midnight. I love it. They're able to go, Lord, you are sovereign. And I'm going to enjoy the moment, even when I'm in jail. So God's families, yes, are going. Going to see this whole place change for God's glory. Amen? That's what we want. We want to see, we want to see us diving into God's presence, becoming more mature, seeing all the miracles that God has for us. We want all, those, all that stuff. And yet, at the same time, families enjoy the moment. They enjoy it, knowing that it's too precious to waste. Fourthly and penultimately, God's family is inclusive, not exclusive. Let's turn again to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, very famous verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. How big is the church at this moment? Anyone know? Shout it out. 3,000. Okay, they've just heard Peter's sermon and the church has begun. 3,000 people there. Amazing community. Devoted themselves to fellowship. Devoted themselves to being together. And then, in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number... Day by day, those who were being saved. That's huge. Their community was birthed in an atmosphere of inclusivity. Yeah? So we want, we, want, we want a community and a family that is marked by joy, that is marked by entering into the moment, that is free and not earned. We want all that stuff. But I would say this, is that powerful, strong community can be dangerous. And I say this to our church often, I say, just be aware that community is an amazing, brilliant thing, but it can be dangerous. Why? Because you have lack of a need, less of a need, to connect with your non-Christian mates. You think, I've just peopled out, man, just from hanging out with the church. I don't want to see any more people. My people capacity-ometer is, you know, I need some time on my own. Now think about this, this is subtle. But I know it can creep up. When you have a powerful community, that is, that is amazing, as I've just been saying. But it can be dangerous. So I say to a church, every Sunday morning, we have, everyone gets there half an hour early. We're just hanging out, having you know, coffee and stuff. 
every week without fail. I'll be walking along, someone will come up to me and go, Tom! And then someone else, someone else, someone else. And so I'm surrounded by three or four people and they want to talk to me. And that's great. And virtually every week I'll go, guys, just, just for a sec, wait a sec. Look over there. And they're what? They're on their own. They're on their own. We can talk anytime. We know each other. We can talk on the phone, we can talk to the we can talk after a meeting. And, oh, yeah, of course, sorry, yeah, yeah. And over they go. And we have brilliant welcome team, we have people, but even still, and it's not that they're wrong, it's not that they do anything bad, it's just that they're pleased to see each other. Yeah, it's a good thing. It's much better than if they're like, oh gosh, you know, there's Jim. You know, they love each other. But I'm constantly going, great, enjoy the love, enjoy the love, but there's lots of new people coming. Yeah? There's lots of new people coming. A few, about three years ago, God really spoke to us about our Sundays. He said, your Sundays are so much a family time that actually there's a bit of a danger. He said, for example, when you have a family meal, so if you're a bit of a rush, we might, I mean, Josie's a very good cook, I have to say. It's very rarely happened, but occasionally if we're a bit of a rush, you might just pop in a pizza or something. Or jacket potato, something quick, easy, does the job, very little preparation needed, fills the gap, right? And our Sundays were a bit like that in the sense of they were for us, the family. So we, there was a lot of assumptions made that we know where, you know where the, you know where the kids' work is and you know where you know, the toilets are and it was, you know, we all know. We're the family. But actually, when we looked, we, we realised we were having 250 visitors every year. And they were coming in in their twos and threes during the year. And God spoke to me and said, Tom, if you have, if you have guests over, you still get fed, but it's a bit different. He said, so for example, actually you might put a bit more preparation into things. You might you know, make the place look a bit nice. You might, you know, when they come, actually your attention is more serving them than yourself. So you still get fed, but actually, you know, Josie might make uh, a bit more of a complicated meal, a bit more time on prep, you know, and we'll get glammed up and it's a bit more energy into it. And God said to me, whether you like it or not, son, I'm bringing hundreds of guests to your church, to my house. They're coming in. I want you to treat them like VIPs. So we then shifted our whole mindset for Sundays. Actually, to be honest with you, it's so exciting being here today and realising you guys, I think you've already got this, you're realising this is about glorifying God. It is about being together as a family, but we're mindful, amen? We're mindful all the time of new people. And not just new people, but lonely people. People who could be here for a while, but they're still you know, lonely. We're looking all the time. And so now we've, we've transitioned from a, a, a kind of pizza, family mealtime mentality, more and more to a bit of a dinner party. So we're all the time, and the way we do things, we're, we're trying to get into the mind of what would it be like if an atheist who'd never been to church before come here. They're coming out to God's house for a meal, so we're going to want to treat them like a VIP. So God's house, God's church is inclusive. Day by day, he added to their number. And I want to hear a big resounding yes in a moment, but do you believe it's God's heart that he would do even greater things in this town in the coming years? It's absolutely true. Your, your name, Beacon, is prophetic, and I know you know that. You are a beacon. That is God's call on you. You are a beacon of all the things I've said of in a unique family. One final thing, and then I'll shut up. God's family, God's family looks out for the weak. I love Romans chapter 15. It just says this. Romans 15 says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. As God, in the coming days, weeks, months and years, brings in, as he will surely do, people from every different background, 
they will be weak. You know, God's so unflattering. I love it. Paul says, God calls the foolish and the weak. And we have to think, oh, does he mean, you know, metaphorically? No, literally. I look at me and I think, yeah, absolutely. Weak and foolish. So if you're a Christian here today, I'm not trying to insult you, but there is a very good statistical chance that in your natural self, you might be weak and foolish. Oh, I say, that young man, so rude. But the reality is this, what does that mean? If you're therefore going to be having more and more people coming in over the coming years, as they get attracted, as they smell the flavour of this family, like a beautiful korma or whatever, they wow, this guy's different. They're so inclusive, they're loving, they're passionate about life, they're a family. As they come in, they will often be weak. And you who are stronger have an obligation to bear with the weak. So what I mean is this, is just that we lay our, our desires down sometimes for those who are weak. So, for example, at City, one of the, the classics in the, in the evangelical world, isn't it, is the worship wars. What type of worship should we have? And we all have different types of desires of, I'd like it more like this, or something like this, and like this. And in Canterbury, I mean, for me personally, I like lots of hymns. And I like it, not actually that loud, I like it quite quiet and lots of hymns. You might be surprised that that's honestly my, my desire. But in City, we've got loads of young people around, all the time, more young people moving. And when you look at statistically, most people tend to become Christians, actually, between the age of 15 and 30, for some reason. It's a time where God seems to get in there. Actually, if just even the music style will help some who are weak, as it were, on their journey into... I remember, I remember the first time coming to City 12 years ago as a hippie and thinking, ah, yeah, I had to play their instrument. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like it. And actually, the style of the music, like you guys are doing, was actually contemporary. Yeah, and, it, and, and, and so you have someone like a Chris Moyles, Radio 1 DJ, going, I didn't realise church could be like that. And already, one's potential stumbling block is removed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so it's so exciting to see you guys are seeing these things. That God's family, the more mature, in a whole load of different ways, say, hey, look, my needs are secondary. So in our car, I mean, my favourite music in the whole world is jazz. John, why can I have an Amen. Thank you, in your heart. Jazz music. I love jazz. I would say jazz is on the car probably one in every hundred trips I do. Do you know what's normally on? The wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, round. I actually quite like it now. But there's, yeah, there's times when me and Josie go for a drink on our own, and it's on the whole time. And we don't even realise, like, honey, this is scary. Um, why? It's because I'm serving them. My darling daughters. And I want them, actually, I, I can still kind of get into it, but it's not my ideal, but I kind of quite like it. And it's, it's, I'm there to serve them. And that's the heart of God's family. And I'll say one final thing to finish. Even the definition, the definition of what it is to be strong in God's family is totally different to the world. And, I, and this is my, I really want you guys to hear this. In the world in the business world perhaps, or even in the army, or in other different settings in the world, you get to a certain age and you retire. You get to a certain age and you're patronised. You get to a certain age and it's like, oh, let's get the young whippersnappers in. Right? It's true, isn't it? Not so in God's kingdom. Not so in God's family. But it certainly shouldn't be. Think of someone like Terry Virgo, who leads the movement. I think he's 69 now, approaching 70. No one would deny... This man is in his zenith. 
He's in his zenith. Oh, to be inputted by Terry Virgo right now at this stage. I would much rather now than when he was 29. I give all the money in the world. Why? Because he's had 50 years of living this life. Now I want to, say, and I'm not just saying this to G you up. When I look around this room, there's a few grey hairs. Just one or two. And I want to say this. Praise God. And I want, I mean this. This is a profound thing. God's family in the world, often the way people above a certain age are treated, is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. And in God's family, it is so different. Because it's a place where we, we actually, you know, provided there's maturity spiritually as well, <laughs> but we honour those who are actually, who have got longer time in their life. They've lived longer, who are older. It's a profound thing. That's who often are actually the strong, the mature. It's not the guy who's got all the gifts, who's 25, who's been saved six minutes, but thinks he can change the world. That often, actually, it's the guys who have lived longer. And I spend my life at City Church going around people who are 50, 60, 70 and above saying, listen, I need you. I need you to help me. I, I can't do this. I've only been married five years. I don't know what I'm doing. I need you to help these guys who are getting married. I, I say to older guys, I say, listen, will you join me? Will you, if I give you three younger guys, will you pour your life into them? Will you do that for me? Will you do it for, for Jesus more than me? And I'm like, really? Like, yes! Will you do that? Because if you do that, believe me, worrying about music volume and little secondary everything, that just, no one cares about that when you're on mission together. That's what God wants to do. He wants to take all of you here. Many of you, you think, well, Tom, you what are you talking about? What can I offer? Listen, if you've been walking with Jesus for many years, you have so much to offer. So much profoundly to offer. I spend so many hours on the phone with my dad. My dad thinks he's often just sort of washed up and, oh, what can I do? I'm like, dad, believe me, when I was 20, when I got saved at 21, it was nice to have guys who were 22 or 23 to help me along. But when I got, when a guy called Pete Gregory, who is a... um, a primary school headmaster, who wasn't old, but he was a bit older in our church. He was, you know, one of the golden oldies. When he actually started to input, oh, it was amazing. And so God wants you guys to realise that you are sitting on a gold mine. And that was my, ter- my sermon title for the day. You're sitting on a gold mine. And you may not believe it. And you may just think I'm trying to be nice. But I'm not. It's because... This is what God says about you. Now, I've invited Matt and Jenny to come as well. I don't know if you guys have felt anything particularly on your heart. Don't worry, nothing. But I'd like us to stand if that's okay. And I'm sure we might want to respond in a song. But I'd like to pray for us if that's okay. You guys up for that? Yeah, maybe um, something kind of, of, I don't know, worshipful. Yeah. Let's... Let's just, let's just still our hearts for a few moments before we finish and, and before we sing. And I just feel that, to be honest with you, that specific things may have just been highlighted as I've been speaking for different ones of you. And maybe we just want to just right now, let's just in the last few moments just really connect with God. He is invisible, but he is more real than this church building. He's actually right here. And I, I just, let's just open our hands, let's open our hearts to our, our King.
Because today, I believe, is a fresh commissioning. He wants to afresh today, I believe, speak his mighty affirmation over the Beacon Church. To say, you are sitting on a gold mine. That each of you, with your different gifts, your different personalities, with your different experiences and life backgrounds, that you, as his unique family, are a beacon to this place. Lord, I want to just pray, even now, that you will fall afresh. Lord, even as we sang earlier, fall afresh in this room. Lord, we know that ultimately, we just want to live for your glory. We really want to live as a people who reflect you. God himself, who is a family. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We, I want to pray right now, you will release fresh encouragement all across this room. For those who have ruled themselves out, perhaps, and thought, I I don't know what role I can have. Today, I want to say, Lord, won't you speak fresh dreams, fresh confidence, Lord God, that, that the Spirit of God lives in everyone who knows you. I want to pray today, Lord God, that you will draw close, that you will rest. It says that the Spirit of God rested like a dove on Jesus. Even now, I want to pray all across this room with all the challenges that people face, all the heartache and the setbacks. I want to pray today, Lord God, will be a day where the smile of heaven is known afresh on every single heart. Lord, I pray if there's even just like weeds or things that have grown around hearts subtly today, I just say the great gardener, come, come Lord, come Lord. And in these last few moments, just purify our hearts. Align our hearts and our thinking with how you see us. Lord, when we get our heads down, just get into the daily humdrum of life, Lord, lift our gaze. Lift our gaze to what this is all about. Transformation of a whole community, one day at a time, by a God who loves us. I just want to say, finally, if you're here and you know you're not a Christian, you know you've been listening to this and thinking, wow. You know, Jesus today, right here, right now, he's here. And it isn't complicated. He just says to you, admit your need. Humble yourself. Admit, you can't do this without him. Admit that he he isn't the centre of your life and he needs to be. And he will forgive you in an instant. He will clothe you with his spirit. He will clothe you with a fresh identity, with a fresh joy. And I want to invite you right now, even in this moment, to do business with God. I want to pray right now that if that's you, there may be many of you here today, just in your own way, tell him you need to go his way. Don't leave this place. Don't, I implore you, don't leave this place today without having given your life to Jesus, without having said in your own way, God, I need you. I, I want in on this thing. I want to be part of your mission, part of your family. I pray. Maybe some of you, in, you've been looking at Christianity for a while, circling around it. Today, land. God would humbly say, land. Today is a day of landing for you. Get the landing gear out and get before God. You might not want to speak to a friend or someone here that you know is a Christian and say, okay, 
I want it. 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 I want it.